Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bats podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball as well as MLB Wide Hot Stove. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast can be found, as always, on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, Player FM, and wherever you can find it on Google. I am Terry Cushman, and I am joined, as always, by Jeremy Schilling. Jeremy, how are you? I'm good, Terry. Thanks for asking. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. I'm not going to lie. I'm starting to starting to get the winter blues. You know, not just because of the awful weather up here, but uh, I think the baseball withdrawals are like are kicking in, and it's uh, you know the World Series is kind of wearing off now, and and I'm facing the fact that we are a long way away from live baseball. Well, you know, Baseball America tonight tweeted the top 15 for college baseball, uh, Division One college baseball standings. And for whatever reason, like, <laughs> I was so excited to see that already. Um, I, we're really, you know, it's going to be, what, December 1st next week. I think we're, like, 90, inside 90 days to pitchers and catchers. It's actually crazy how short the offseason is when you play in the World Series. So, um you know, we got to get through the holidays, the calendar flips, and then you're you know you're six eight weeks away from from it firing back up. So, um, but anyways, I think we got some good topics tonight. Um, hot stove topic. We're going to talk about the Hall of Fame uh, ballot, and we're going to talk about uh, something you and I realized just recently that we are in diverse um, camps on, which is the steroids in baseball. So, um, Terry. Uh, it's my understanding from what I've been reading on Twitter and uh, just hot stove websites that the Yankees are shopping Stanton. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, it's it's an interesting development, and it started with uh, Nick Cafardo, who kind of comes from Red Sox Nation, and uh, I think with the Boston Globe, and then Yahoo Sports kind of picked it up and ran with it, and a lot of the SB Nation sites and blogs, fan cited as well, are kind of, you know, running with it. So it, it's tough to tell how serious things are. But I was just thinking, you know, before we came on, if they bring in Machado, just, just to make the math easy, and it's probably, this figure is probably going to be higher in the long run, but just take Machado, Severino, Judge, and the current Stanton contract. When, when the other three, aside from Stanton, hit free agency, those four combined would probably total up to over a billion overall, figuring they're all going to get at least 250 or more. So 
it just it makes perfect sense that if if they're all gung ho for Machado and and that's what it appears, it only makes sense to try to possibly move Stanton if if there is interest and the Dodgers are the popular name, the Giants as well, and and maybe the Phillies just because maybe that's the backup plan if they don't get. Machado or Harper, but you know what? What are your thoughts on it? Um, my first thought was this had to be leaked by a team that the Yankees reached out to, and not the Yankees, because this is crazy to me for the Yankees to play with Stanton like this. Um, I think right after their season ended, um, they came out on Sonny Gray and basically said he's not going to be here. And uh, it's kind of funny because so far they haven't done anything on that front. So it's like Sonny Gray may be there with that like commentary from uh, the general manager looming over him. And now this could be the same situation. So if Stanton's butt heard about it, I just love it as a Red Sox fan because they, they're clearly overreacting to the Red Sox winning the World Series. And I'm just like, you know, <laughs> wrapping my fingertips together, like watching their world burn because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they want. Um, and obviously they want the newer, shinier, you know, fancier car in Harper and or Machado. And so they have the, you know, they have the two-year-old lease in the garage. They're trying to get rid of it. Um, to me, one of the things with Stanton is I don't think that he was or is as marketable as they thought he was going to be. I really, um, and I thought this too, so maybe this is my thought, not the Yankees, but I thought that he was going to be a massive, like, um, you know, uh, he was going to be a massive draw to that fan base. And what, what has happened since is Judge is really already that guy, and they don't have to pay him for it yet. So I don't think they're seeing the dollar bills in revenue created by his marketability. Um, with, with And we've talked about this, so I'm not going to you know go crazy on the point. but And I think they see that in Harper. Um, I don't see it in Machado. I'd be shocked if they do, but... Um, so that, that that's another thing, you know. I I think maybe they're looking at it going, well, he's not he's not as marketable as we thought we were thought he was. He is uh, an electric factory offensive player, um, and it, you know, no one's worth thirty million dollars. Which which to me brings me to my last point on this. It's hilarious to me. Like I've. It, it makes me chuckle, and again, I just love watching the Yankees' world burn around them. That they're they're trying to move out from underneath a bad three hundred million dollar contract to get into another one. <laughs> it's like, um, you know, it's like the 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 slow kid who keeps sticking his head in the railing and having it stuck, and he's going to different railings thinking it's better than the last, but it's not. His head keeps getting stuck. So, um, you know, it's just it's hilarious to me that they're trying to clear off a three hundred million dollar deal so they can most likely enter into another one so and i'll defer to you the other the other thought that i have which i'm not going to get into now you know maybe give you a chance to respond to those three topics i just hit but um they're obviously going to have to pay a portion of whatever the deal is if they're able to unload them i don't think they will but you know that's another dynamic yeah i mean you make a great point he's not he's not like Bryce Harper, you know, when it comes to marketability, at least not to the point where, where, like you said, they thought he might be. 
and he just he seems like more of a private guy. And JD Martinez with the Red Sox, you know, somewhat similar, and so they're kind of missing out on that. But yeah, you have to look at what might be motivating them as well. And Stanton is only a 268 career hitter. He hit 266 last season. Uh, last season as well, he had a career high 211 strikeouts. He's not a robust defensive player, and part of me wonders if if the Yankees are looking at the, the Red Sox outfield and watch them literally winning games because of their good defense. I mean, I forget the exact play, but Mookie gunned somebody down with an absolute bullet to uh, second base from right field. And you have to wonder if they have any defense envy. And, and Stanton is nowhere near as good of a defender as Aaron Judge is. And you wonder if you know, maybe they would like to DH uh, Stanton at certain times. But who really knows if Gary Sanchez is going to be the catcher of the future. I think he's going to be on their roster, but maybe they want to hide him at DH. So it's hard kind of getting a, you know, the whole team to fit perfectly. And also uh, really ominously Stanton kind of disappeared uh, in the playoffs and didn't, wasn't quite, you know, the electric factory to steal your term as, uh, they were hoping he would be, you know, when the lights were the brightest. So those are some some reasons they may or may not be willing to uh, move on from him. And it's a, I mean, it's a hard contract to move. And whoever takes him would have to look at it as though he's somewhat of a discount compared to Machado and um, Harper. Because he's the balance of Stanton's contract is currently nine years, two hundred and sixty million, and the market is definitely suggesting that both of those guys will exceed that. So maybe, maybe that's what they look at. But if I'm the Dodgers, I kind of look at Stanton as Kemp 2.0. I mean, he might have better career numbers than Stanton uh, than uh, Kemp does at, at the end of his career, but. He's going to be that injury-prone player who's probably limping through, you know, his age 33 season and beyond. So I just, I don't really see a ton of long-term value out of Stanton. And I just think he's the he's the prize for whatever teams miss out on those big two free agents. Yeah, um... This is one of those rarities where we, I think we kind of see it both, <laughs> both ways. Let me bring in a couple just because we do agree. Let me bring in some interesting tidbits here about Stanton's contract. He signed it in 2015 with the Marlins. I am um, I live in South Florida. I go to the majority of my live professional baseball games at Marlins Park. Um, I don't follow the Marlins like that, um, but I do know how bad of a baseball town this is. The contract is hilarious. It's 6.5 in year one, 9 in year two, 14.5 in year two. I'm, I'm sorry, in year three. Traded to the Yankees for year four, 25 million. And then it goes up, you know, 
to 32 in the height of the contract and back down to 25 for the last year. It was a three-year deal for the Marlins, clearly. I mean, they knew they were going to get the asset and trade it. I mean, they paid him $29 million for for the first three years of the deal, and then every every year after is worth 25 or more. So it's just hilarious that the Marlins were able to hoodwink the Yankees into this. Um, they probably knew it or, or had some high probability that, that this is what was going to happen when they signed it. The fact that the Yankees um, took on this deal, and forgive me if I'm wrong on this, and I know how you love to hit me with if I get a stat wrong or a fact wrong, you're going to come at me immediately. But I, I think they, they convinced the Yankees to take the full dollar value of this contract. Um, it's just not going to happen. And I can't imagine even a large market team willing to go more than like 15 to 20 million per year for the balance of the year, the balance of the deal. There's two reasons why I feel that way. One, if the Yankees are motivated to do this, then the team is going to know that, that they're going to get some dollars back off the deal. That, that, I mean, it's just, it's inherent in this kind of deal that if you're dangling them like that, you're desperate and no one's going to be as dumb as the Yankees were to take on the full value. And I, you know, and because the teams also that are willing to do it, are also probably in on the Harper Machado sweepstakes. So it just seems to me that they just go sign one of those two guys if they wanted to spend this kind of money on one player. So I just don't, they're never going to get full value. So that's one. Two, the length of the deal. Through 2028, which is 30, his uh, year, year old 38, I'm sorry, 38 year old season. Do you know how much bad things can happen to an athlete in 10 more years? <laughs> I mean, he could develop a bad case of turf toe. Um, he could lose his ability 100% to play defense. Or, you know, he could have a shoulder issue. He could have Tommy John. I mean, um, he has an explosive, tight, you know, it's like a like a tight like a tightly round spring um, approach to the plate. You know, not to bring up Nomar because Nomar was a steroid guy, but um, he's he is he is a, an oblique away from just a massive problem. Um. And I don't see him being the type of guy who's going to adapt because he doesn't have great hands. Um, his sw- swing is really built around his core and his amazing drive to the ball with his lower half. Um, he, he's not handsy. He, he's not like um, – it's a good example of this. Maybe Edgar Martinez. A guy who just had you know really good hand to ball, you know, he just was really good that way. And I, I think Edgar Martinez played until his, he was forty years old or something like that. I just don't see it with uh, Michael Stanton or whatever the hell his name is now. Um, so I love it. I love that the Yankees like don't know what they're doing. They know they want Harper and or Machado, but they got this guy they committed to last year. He's it's like nine more years. It's comical. They're they're being run. Like I run my fantasy team, you know, like I keep Drew Brees, but then I, I, you know, I, I really wanted like, you know, Andrew Luck. And so I still spend a first round pick, uh, in a keeper league on, on like a quarter, like it just doesn't make any sense. Um, but you know, it's great because the Red Sox are sound and they, their core is coming back and the Yankees don't know what the fuck they want to do. So. Yeah, and uh, it, the other interesting thing here is, you know, nobody wanted him in 2017 at the deadline. Like, teams kicked the tires, but, you know, there just wasn't a ton of interest. And then the whole thing with his um, 
no trade clause kind of played out and then ultimately into the Yankees' hands. But it, it, it's also, it just seems to be instant buyer's remorse. And, I mean, we could be wrong. There might not be a lot to this. You know, maybe it got leaked and they're simply doing their due diligence, you know, to just kind of test that scenario. And, and uh, you know, so... And, and look, this is this is. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. You are. I'm not at all. True. I would. I would love it if, like, years from now, we look back in this this off season and we find out that the that the Red Sox were the team that leaked this. <laughs> like, whether it's from the Red Sox or like they called Lavulo out in Arizona and we're like, Hey, Terry, do us a favor, will you? You know, and and like Lavulo goes to his like associate bench coach and says, Hey, go tell. You know, go tell uh, you know this media guy that they're you know they're floating Stanton out there and just fuck everything up. You know, like it, you know, it's just one of those things where I, I don't know how it got out, and that's one of the things. Like, I, I liked having Chris on the podcast because Chris has some contacts you and I don't have access to. Although I found out recently you have some some access, but um, I have zero, um, and I would love to know who's fucking with the Yankees or. Are the Yankees dumb enough to have done this themselves? But again, like I'm, I'm just I have permanent smile on my face right now as I'm talking about this because it just they're, they're it's they're being run by clowns. And, and and again, you know, to get back to the Red Sox, this is a Red Sox podcast. There's not much to do this off season with the Red Sox. And Terry, you and I know this because we've tried to manufacture topics for this podcast. Besides Evaldi Kimbrel, who is not coming back. Um, some arbitration issues that are going to arise here in the next six weeks. There's nothing that the that the Red Sox absolutely need to do right now to be ready for for the 2019 season. They're already going to be considered a playoff with their current under contract guys. So it's just it, it, I absolutely love it. Um, and you know they only have four starters. You know they they don't have enough starting pitching, and now they're they're doing this to try to go get Harper and Machado who aren't pitchers. Right. I, I can't stop smiling. It makes me so happy to see this. Yeah, and they definitely need at least one more starting pitcher, and it's tough to tell. Maybe they bring back Hap, or I, I don't know if another big splash could be had. But in Paxton, like we uh, said in the last episode, certainly comes with uh, some injury liability. So um, The other thing is you can't discount that the New York effect could be a real, you know, Sonny Gray was subject to the New York effect. Uh, we, we've seen it in Boston. Guys come to the big city, the big markets, and they, they're not the same. Paxson's been pitching in the Pacific Northwest. Um, you know, from all accounts, a, a decent baseball town, but not the, you know, you know, New York is... The magnifying glass just follows you everywhere you go. You know, it's like Charlie Brown being followed by the rain, the single rain cloud. You just don't know what they're going to do. Sonny Gray, uh, still on that roster, love to see him be their fifth guy. Uh, but right now, I mean, they should be focused on pitching. They have Keuchel's on the market, Avaldi's on the market. We've already talked about it. Corbin's on the market. There's there's got there's there's guys in last year of their deal in mid-market to small-market teams that have no chance of re-signing in that particular franchise, that the, the Yankees should be doing that. Why aren't they doing that? It seems so obvious. It seems so stupid. It seems so counterintuitive to what their needs are to be worrying about moving Stanton to get Machado or Harper. And let's not be mistaken, by the way. That's why they're doing it. 
it's just, yeah. I'm sorry. It just, again, it makes me smile. They, they, they are seemingly handling this idiotically. Right, and just the last tidbit on Paxton. He he did pitch in one of the most pitcher friendly parks in, in MLB, Safeco Field. So, and Yankee Stadium is definitely not that. And then to touch on the hitting, I mean, they did set the home run record this year, and maybe they were a home run or nothing team, you know. But there's plenty of uh, pop there, and w- without adding anybody, literally any key bat. You got Andahar at third. You kind of have to tread water until, um, you know, maybe early June to get uh, Gregorius back. But he's one of the better offensive shortstops in the league, you know, top six or seven anyway. And um, you got Andahar. uh, No, I said Andahar. You got Glaber Torres at second. You got some options at first, whether Lucas Voigt is the real deal remains to be seen, but he's still a cheap, viable option. Maybe maybe Greg Bird gets it together. Maybe there's a very solid platoon between the two. You got Stanton and Judge out on the corners. Hicks and center, assuming Ellsbury doesn't come back. And you got Gary Sanchez, probably the one catcher in MLB who has the highest offensive upside. There is plenty of offense. You can make the argument that that offense is as good, if not maybe slightly better, than the Red Sox. I mean, they don't hit for contact as well, but a lot of those guys perennially are just really good. I mean, Benintendi sort of fell off a cliff, you know, in the second half in terms of power. Mookie did with power, but was hitting for high average. His OBP was still off the charts so that was all fine but you know you don't we don't know what we're getting from Devers yet I'm optimistic he's going to have a a great season but you never know and second base is a little unsettled so there's not a drastic difference between the two offenses either team is capable of winning the division so there's no there's no need to add a stupid contract like they're possibly positioning themselves to do it's just absolutely crazy how how insane they get when the red sox win the world series and then they go and they make you know they make a couple of bad decisions and they're still paying for the ellsbury one from our last world series um let's let's get into one of those uh free agents anyway because the there's been a, a lot of publicity between um, Hal Steinbrenner uh, probably about to have a meeting uh, with uh, Manny Machado, a very highly publicized meeting. And let me just give you some uh, quotes here. Um, uh, This is from Hal Steinbrenner. He says uh, he found Manny Machado's now infamous Johnny... Hustle comments troubling and wants to sit down face to face with him to find out where did this come from? What was the context of the entire interview? Was the was there a point where you were trying to justify this? And so he's got those questions and, and doesn't want to proceed in the Manny Machado sweepstakes you know, until there is a sit-down. 
Manny Machado had a face-to-face -face interview uh, within the last week with Ken Rosenthal. Here are some quotes there. And uh, he says, Manny Machado says, quote, When I was asked that question, I was definitely on the defensive, and I was wrong to answer it the way that I did, because looking back, it, does, it doesn't come across how I meant it. Machado goes on to say, for me, I was talking about how I'm not the type of guy who is eyewash. There's a difference between fake hustle for a show and being someone who tries hard to win. I've always been the guy who does whatever he can to help his team. And then lastly, he says, but I know how I said it came across wrong, and it's something I take responsibility for. I look forward to talking to each GM and owner that we meet about that or any other questions they have. So those are the quotes, and I'd like to say that the Machado quote is kind of bullshit because we saw that long single that he thought was a home run out to, I think, left center, and he milked the shit out of it, and it bounces off the wall, ends up being a, a long single in the World Series of all times. So, I just, given Machado's antics on the field, completely full of shit, and I just think the Yankees are, are going to potentially look a lot worse if, if the face-to-face -face meeting goes well, and then they pull on this massive deal. Yeah, um, I love this again. <laughs> I just love it. This is so. Um, as someone has has, I've done a ton of interviews. Um, I've been on the both sides of the interview game. The interview is not the best way to 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 determine a candidate's hireability. Um, because everyone's on their best behavior in an interview. People are capable of saying what they perceive the other side wants to hear. Um, and, that, and, and that's fine in a one-year prove-it year. That's not what Manny Machado is going to happen with Manny Machado. I predicted that that's a possibility with Harper. Uh, Machado's done enough that he's going to get the six- to eight- to ten-year deal. This guy has, and we've talked about it, so I don't want to like hammer the point home, but for people who don't listen to every episode, Manny Machado is an absolute scumbag. He's a dirty player. Um, he has had significant lapses of, um, you know, I don't want to say work ethic necessarily, but certainly hustle in big moments. You've highlighted the World Series issue. When someone has a clear... Um, either personality defect or work ethic issues. And we've seen it with like Manny Ramirez. There'll be periods of time where the, where the player or the, the asset or the employee or however you want to characterize them, get it right. Um, but over the long haul, like a zebra is going to show its stripes. Manny Machado's going to step on another foot on first base. He's going to slide in with his foot three feet up in the air, cleat out. He's going to turn sure doubles into singles. Like, that's who he is. Like, so to me, and this comments from Hal Steinbrenner just scream that they don't care. Like, they're, they want to, they want to portray one thing to their fan base, but they want the player. And I love it. 
I hope they sign Machado. I hope they sign him to a 22-year, I'm sorry, $540 million deal. That's just outrageous. I don't want the player. I hate the player. I think he would be a significant issue in Boston and not because of the, the spike in Pedroia situation. I just think he's... I, I don't want to say soft because I don't think he's soft. And I think he... And I, th- I think he's capable of playing the villain and embracing it. He just hasn't yet. And maybe once he has the financial certainty of that 10-year, $300 million deal he seems destined to obtain, that he will embrace that heel or, or the, you know, the bad guy uh, persona. Um, you know, but uh, he's still going to get the contract. It's, you know, if the Yankees want him, they're going to get him because they have the deepest pockets. Um I just don't know, again, there, there's an interplay happening here where the Yankees said they don't want Harper. They haven't said that about Machado, but they also want to move Stanton, which suggests that maybe they're trying to figure out something where they get two big guys. And then I just harken back to the fact that, again, um, this team does not need offense. And there's one thing that you said that I wanted to respond to, but you switched topics, uh, so I'm going to respond to it now. You said either team could win the division next year. Strong disagree as the rosters are currently constituted. The Yankees don't have any pitching. They they have no pitching. They're going in with CC Sabathia as one of their four guys, a guy who has no track record outside of Safeco Field, like you highlighted. And of course, they have Severino and Tanaka, who are good. Uh, one is a potential elite starter, and another one is certainly a very good starter. So it just again makes no sense to me that this this whole conversation isn't happening about Keuchel or Corbin. Or some guy under under his last year of his contract on a mid market small market team, um, but that's not what they're doing. Um, and you know maybe they have just maybe they've said, look, we built Yankee Stadium. We know what Yankee Stadium is. We need to score runs to win ninety eight plus games, get in the playoffs, and win a World Series. And I and I get that, but you have to pitch on some level. And their, their, their starting rotation is an absolute fucking joke right now to the point where they literally do not have a fifth starter as we're sitting here right now. And they're talking about this whole thing with Machado. So uh, it seems to me that the Yankees are really setting themselves up to become a dumpster fire. And I hope it, I hope I'm reading it right. I think it's a real, real possibility that they end up a dumpster fire. Like this thing caves in on themselves. And then they are so over the top with dollar bills that they, there's no way out until these contracts start to expire, starting with the fact that Ellsbury's still under contract for, like, I think three or four more years. Yeah, it's at least two or three uh, for Ellsbury. Uh, and if if either team, the Red Sox or the Yankees, is, is likely to have a PR meltdown, it's definitely going to be the Yankees. And because in the whole Aaron Boone thing is still doesn't look great and um, – you know, so I don't know. And with the Red Sox, I I will agree that the Red Sox, you know, are the favorites. I'm not I'm not trying to say that they're not, but I mean, the only difference between the 2013 and the 2014 team, which ended up finishing last after the World Series, was they didn't have Ellsbury. You know, they didn't have a center fielder, but they were still terrible. And I look at this current team. I'm just thinking, you know, who's to say? Porcello just isn't bad, you know, like he is on odd-numbered years, and and who's to say Sale's going to be healthy? Like, I'm not, I'm just not taking things for granted, and I do see at least a little bit of potential for there to be some, uh, 
some issues, you know, with our own rotation. But, you know, hopefully not. And and like I said, I do, I you know, if, if I had to pick today, I, I'd definitely pick the Red Sox to win the division. So let me, let me just say two things and respond to that directly. There is always a difficulty in pitching that late in the season and having healthy arms for the, for the next season. Every World Series team goes through it. Not, not just the winners, but the losers. Teams that go in deep into the AL and NLCS go through it where you add 30 to 50. Well, that might be too much, but you know, you add significant innings, right? We're not talking about, you know, influx in like five outings. We're talking about high leverage huge pitches in the biggest of moments um it it will have an effect next year like if you like red sox fans watch out like we're going to have some problems early we're going to struggle the pitching's not going to be consistent in the first month or two of the season there are going to be guys that are going to need need breaks there are guys that are going to get into camp and they won't get themselves going like they typically do because they're just they've thrown more innings high leverage innings and they've had less rest so it's going to happen. It happens every year. And it's a good problem to have because we just won the fucking World Series. So, like, but what have the Red Sox done that's different than the Yankees? Quality options over and above five starters. You know, Wright. Um, Wright's not going to be looked at as a starter. He could potentially be starting games next year for the, for the Boston Red Sox. Certainly a long relief option. Erod didn't had one start, albeit a very famous um, and gutsy performance, but he only started one game last year in the playoffs. Um, you know they have options all over the place. They have and I, they've skipped people. Um, you know this season, or this last season, they skipped people. They 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 basically went with six starters. Um, they. You know, and the problem seemingly always worked itself out where, like, someone came back and some, like, you know, Sale got hurt or someone came back and Wright hurt his knee again. So there was never, like, a, an issue with, like, oh, my God, we might have to DFA one of these guys. But they've done the exact opposite of the Yankees. They've built a stable of viable starting pitching options all on the 40-man roster, all capable of starting games. Um, the Yankees haven't done any of that. They have two high-quality options, two low to uh, questionable options, and then no one. So um, I agree, um, and I do think that the Red Sox are going to have some issues with sale. Price could also like price is really good, and he maybe has turned the corner, and you know he holds all the cards now. So I get it, but <laughs> um, you know he look. Would I be shocked if 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 Price had a you know an April stint on the disabled list just to just to give himself a little bit you know, more rest or, or he's just not right. No, absolutely not. And I think the same could happen for sale. Uh, but they, they've, they've got just a higher quality stable of options. So, um, you know, and again, um, the Red Sox probably will add, you know, I, I think the, the Red Sox have, you know, they, they could resign Evaldi. They could resign Keuchel. Um, I think that they're, you know, it, like if Porcello has his on again, off again year and, and he's off coming up because he just had a good year, he's in the last year of his deal. Um, and if they don't feel like they're going to resign him, they, then they're going to spend assets to replace him or supplement him uh, at the trade deadline. So they'll be geared up, ready to go and, and find the right help. But they don't, they're not going to need it on opening day. The, the Yankees have a lot they have to do to get to that point. Yeah, and it, all indications are that is that they're going to be busy. I also saw uh, something today. I, I don't even remember who wrote it, but they they also expect to add uh, two relievers because Robertson and Britton 
um, are both free agents. I don't know that they'll necessarily bring both of those two back, but maybe one of the two with another one. It's a, it's a pretty deep market this offseason for relievers, and the Red Sox hopefully will be active in that area especially. And um, like you said, maybe if if Avaldi isn't re-signed and I'm I'm kind of hoping he's not if it's if unless it's a, you know a two-year deal then I'd be all for it as we've covered but but if they lose out on him or they just don't want to overpay then they will have to replace him so I don't know who that ends up being unfortunately it's a lefty heavy market so I don't know that Jay Happ is necessarily the answer um you know cuz we got a ton of lefties but but we could add someone at some point, though, you know, to the uh, rotation, given our depth. You know, you mentioned Wright. We also still have Hector Velasquez, who is a decent enough uh, spot starter anyway. Um, and uh, yeah, I forgot about him. Yeah. Really good strike thrower. Yeah, guy that guy that guy that's you know not going to kill you. Um, so yeah. Anyways. Um, Terry, the um, the list for the 35 eligible players uh, to be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame was recently released. Um, would you care to go through that quickly? Um, I have a couple of opening thoughts. If you if if uh, the listener wants to do what Terry and I are doing, which is go to baseball-reference.com and bring up the 2019 Hall of Fame ballot. Um, we're going to be going quickly through this list. I think we'll probably settle in on one or two names. And then we're going to segue into um, the effect of the steroid era on the current voting for the Hall of Fame. But, um, Terry, do you have any opening thoughts here on the list before we get going or any final thoughts on, on the Yankees? Uh, I, I'm good with the Yankees. Uh, we'll just also note super fast, nothing concrete on Harper. You know, a lot of Phillies talk, but... Um Nothing remotely uh, imminent. He's holding out for the biggest contract of all time, obviously. So um, that's yeah. days or weeks into the future. But getting uh, uh, over to this list, which uh, did come out in the past week, you have you know your usual suspects still on there. Um, you know, Bonds, Clemens, Schilling, uh, Manny's on there, Manny Ramirez, but. Uh, the when the new list came out, you know, I always like to look at kind of the headliners and and who might get in first ballot. And uh, one name that sticks out obviously is Mariano Rivera, greatest closer of all time. Did it for right around twenty years, maybe even a little over that. Um, you would probably agree he's a first ballot. Anybody that doesn't just you know that is going to disagree with that is. <laughs> Stupid. As an agenda. Well, one writer will. We know that. It just always happens. Nobody's unanimous. Um, all right, so we agree on that. Would what about Roy Halladay? He he would he strikes me as a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um two hundred and three wins, hundred and five losses, three point three eighty RA. Um to me, he is definitely a Hall of Famer. Um, he's going to get a boost with um, some of the steroid guys being in there. We're going to get to that in a minute. I don't. Yeah, he's probably a Hall of Fame, a first ballot in today's 
market where just people don't get close to 300 wins. Yeah, and he not to hopefully people don't take this the wrong way, but he did just pass away, so maybe maybe he gets some expedited, you know, first round. Well, yeah, that's I wasn't going to bring that up specifically, but that when <laughs> I said there's some ancillary reasons, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, and I liked um, him. He was a he was a classy guy. Uh, you know, pitched what two no hitters in the in the playoffs. Of all times, which is super impressive if you consider, you know, all the mileage that is on their arm for the year at that point, you know, to pull off something like that against another lineup that's obviously, you know, a, a playoff caliber, maybe even World Series caliber lineup that he's facing and, you know, just extremely impressive. Here's the thing where I, I don't know. There's something with Mucina, and we're going to probably talk about him, right? I'm old enough to remember Mucina. Um, he, Mucina had 270 wins. He has not been linked to steroids. He had a 3.68 ERA. Um, I look at these guys very similar um, in that they were never the best in their respective era. Uh, they were both very, very good. Um, Mucina won 270 games. To me, he should be... He's not a first ballot Hall of Famer because he's not Pedro, he's not Mariano Rivera, you know, he's not Roger Clemens. Um, but 270 wins gets you in. Like, this is crazy that this is about to be his, I think, sixth year on the ballot. Um, Roy Halladay uh, had more top-end dominant years than Mike Mussina had. Uh, you mentioned the no-hitters, um, and I think he will get a, a boost from his passing. The other thing is that, especially when he passed away, and I don't, you know, when people pass away, everyone deals with it differently, and most people that don't like someone that just passed away kind of remain quiet out of respect. But he, Roy Halladay really was universally um, brought a lot of people to the table to talk about him and his passing. So, you know, and I don't know if the media feels the same way about him. I think they do, and I and I and, and for that reason, he's going to get in. I just don't know if he's a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer the way Mariano Rivera is. Um, there are some people on this list um, that just shouldn't be here. Um, I, Vernon Wells. You know, and I'm sorry. I said Vernon Wells. Shouldn't be on there. Yeah, here I'm just gonna go 35 up, right? Right, Rick Ankeel. I, I have a um, Rick Ankeel is was a two way player. wasn't really specifically great at either. I don't know why he's on here. Juan Pierre, come on, Darren Oliver, um, no, John Garland, Michael Young, Jason Bay, uh, Travis Hafner, Ted Lilly, Vernon Wells, Freddie Garcia, Derek Lowe. Um, I just don't see it. We, we're getting to the Red Sox side of things here, so I'm stopping on Derek Lowe just for a second. 176 wins, had some really big, you know, wins, you know, help break the curse. Um, but come on, Hall of Famer, it's laughable. Kevin Euclid, um, I'm not even going to spend any time on that. Just get out of here. Placido Polanco, um, you know, come on. Uh, and I don't, and I'm sure that a lot of this is filler, and they're meeting their requirements to have people on the ballot. But these guys just aren't in the conversation. Um, you have uh, Miguel Tejada, who was in that Nomar, A. Rod, Jeter conversation for years and years and years, as you know, potentially changing the way that shortstop position was was played. Steroid era guy. Um, I just don't see it. 
you know, Roy Oswald. Uh, 163 wins. No, not, you know, I don't, I don't think he's in the conversation. Stop me if you disagree. Uh, Terry, I, agree. Uh, Todd, sorry. I do agree with you. Yeah. Todd, Todd Helton, 2,500 hits really, really good player in a, in a band box at high altitude. Uh, we've talked about Roy holiday, Mariano Rivera, Andrew Jones, Andrew Jones for me, um, flashed early in his career and then hung around forever being really not a productive major league player. Um, so it is what it is. Sammy Sosa, here's a guy that's going to kind of get us into the debate a little bit, Terry. For me, he's not a Hall of Famer. He had three really good, outstanding years, and you're going to say, well, Jeremy, steroid, you know, steroid obviously played it played an effect, and he's become such a weirdo, right? He's, he's outside the game of baseball. Um, he's had some weird things with, like, family life and other, and other sorts of things that I don't really want to touch on, but... Um, I just don't see that he's ever going to get voted in. Um, you know, do you have a thought on Sammy? Well, he's down to uh, last year. He only got seven point eight percent of the vote, so his numbers are, you know, about to, you know, hit the ground at high velocity. Um, and he also got caught with a cork bat at one point, didn't he? Yes, he did. Bat bat broke yeah. horizontally down the whole entire thing, and there was. Um, a trail of cork right through the the barrel. Yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, I, you know, I don't. <laughs> I've talked extensively about the whole cheating aspect, and we're going to end today's podcast on the steroids. So I'll kind of save my comments for that. Scott Rowland, no. Billy Wagner is very interesting because he had a ton. He accumulated a ton of saves. Um, to me, you know, Mar- for for reference here, Mariano Rivera had six hundred and fifty two saves. Billy Wagner at 422. Uh, he's in the wrong year <laughs> to be up against Mariano Rivera. He's not going to get in this year. Um, he's a guy that I, I think ultimately was very, very good, but not going to get in. Yeah, and he just, in his fourth year of eligibility, only 11.1% of the vote. So he's probably going to fall out of it. I forget what the requirement is. Like these new guys that we just mentioned, you know, the Rick Ann Keels and the Michael Youngs on there, Jason Bay, they have to like, I think they have to exceed like 5% on their first year or something. There is a figure, and if they don't meet that, then they, they fall off of it. You know, they won't be back on it next year. And then you'll have the, a whole new crop of similar players that are just going to come on and then not meet the requirement. Um, so, uh, you know, Wagner, probably not, you know, his numbers will probably trend downward. It becomes a wasted vote, you know, by the, you know, fourth, fifth year. So, um, you know, it's really only probably, uh, Omar Vizquel on up that, you know, could see an increase from year to year, um, Bonds. Yeah, so so for people that don't have the list, Gary um, Terry is skipping over Gary Sheffield, Jeff Kent, Manny Ramirez. Uh, Manny's a Hall of Famer, so just stop it with that. I mean, he failed a drug test, and I, I just he's a Hall of Famer. That's it's absolutely ridiculous if he does not get in. I understand they're going to punish him for maybe up five to ten years, and he, you know he's certainly not going to get in this year. But he's a Hall of Famer. Fred McGriff. Um, he he had just shy of over 500 home runs. He's a Hall of Famer. He's on his 10th ballot. He's not going to get in. Um, Larry Walker, 
you know, it, it, 20, you know, Larry Walker had, uh, 21 hits. Again, um, he played some years in, in some real band box. Omar Vizquel, to me, it's his second year. He got 37%. I agree with you that he's the first one on this list that's a surefire guy. Um, he was so special defensively. And again, I'm old enough to remember Omar Vizquel, even his younger years. He was so, so special defensively. And you're going to look at his stats, and, and maybe younger baseball fans will look at his stats and be and not understand his value. He he made plays that just had no business being made. He he affected games, um, you know, it just in different ways. And again, he did it in the steroid era, and he was clearly not on steroids. I mean, if there's anybody who's like, guy had 80 home runs and played like 20 years, so it's like that guy right. clearly was not affecting his ability to hit the ball for distances. So, you know, totally agree with you on Omar Vizquez. Here, here's an interesting one. I, Kurt Schilling, he's the next one on the list. You said everyone at the scale and above gets in. Kurt got 51.2% of the Hall of Fame ballot, so he's trending in the right direction. I agree with you on that. Um, there's some obviously interesting things with Kurt Schilling. I'm not related to him, by the way, for anyone that's wondering. 216 wins, obviously broke the curse and, and you know won one with the Diamondbacks and all this other stuff. And his his playoff resume obviously has to play a factor because he was that you know special in the playoffs. Uh, the media hates him. He's become um, like sort of a lightning rod with his issues with getting a uh, Rhode Island issued loan and then defaulting on it like almost immediately. If you follow him or even if you just happen to come across him on social media, he's become very, very uh, much a lightning rod in the political realm. Um, so I think he's done some things outside of baseball that has hurt his candidacy. But as a as a baseball player only, I think he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, and just to clarify, I don't necessarily think Vizquel and Up are getting in, but they're, they have a shot, you know, and their numbers are, are up there, so they could certainly trend up there by the end of their eligibility. Uh, with Kurt Schilling, I think Dan Shaughnessy, who's obviously, you know, special in his own right, um, has, I hate Dan Shaughnessy. <laughs> he's come out and said, "I don't, I don't like the politics of Kurt Schilling, and I'm never voting for him, and that's why." So I don't know if that's if other writers take that into account when they cast their their votes or not. But it is his seventh year. He's only at fifty one point two percent. Not sure if he gets there. That being said, you know, I tend to be, I, I'm not bashful about this, you know, I'm, I'm a libertarian, so I'm kind of moderate right, but I'm, I'm liberal on some social issues, and I'm not a Kurt Schilling guy, and, you know, he works for Breitbart, which is a right-wing propaganda, you know, outlet, and... I think that I think that does hurt him, unfortunately, and I don't think that it should, you know. And one example I like to give is like right around now, I have the uh, 2004 box set of the uh, ALCS and the World Series, and one of my favorite games to watch is the Bloody Sock game. And whenever I watch that, the the political Kurt Schilling just doesn't exist, you know, I'm just totally locked into that game, and, you know, some of my thoughts coming into that game, like, oh my god, he, 
you know, they just had to do a procedure, you know, on his, you know, Achilles or whatever those tendons were. And, you know, he didn't look good in his previous start in the ALCS. And I'm thinking, man, this could be the game we go home. And, and he pitched, he pitched the game of his life or, you know, one of the, you know, better games of his postseason career. I think he was like 11 and two in the postseason. And I get that. Most of the, you know, mostly that stuff doesn't really factor into, you know, whether they make the Hall of Fame or not. But, but that's when when I watch that, that's the Kurt Schilling I see, and I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. So, you know, I do root for that number to rise, and it's going to be really unfortunate, you know, if he doesn't get in. There's plenty of guys above him that I, you know, I don't care about, but. Well, Dan Shaughnessy, just to get on him, because that guy's just such a douchebag. He's such an arrogant douchebag. Um, and I've been reading Dan Shaughnessy way back when, you know, in, in the newspaper that was delivered to my parents' house when I was in middle school and high school. I, I That guy is just – and I'm a daily consumer of 98.5, the sports hub, and he's, uh, he's on the – uh, Zolak and Bertrand show. Um, I just find him so dislikable. I, 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 I and I don't want to harp on it too much, but I wanted to come across how much I just think he's that much of a douchebag. Um, for him to come out and say that he's taking political reasons as a way to vote against someone's candidacy for the Baseball Hall of Fame that is supposed to be theoretically built on the foundation of an athlete's performance. There are a few exceptions, like murder, rape. Um, you know, serious crimes um, that I I do think should play a role. Like you know, OJ Simpson. I'm thinking like OJ Simpson and you know like in the uh, Ray Carruth who murdered the the pregnant mother of his child. Like those and Ray Carruth's not not a Hall of Famer, but I'm just illustrating my point. Right. Uh, Kurt Schilling does not meet that standard. He's not committed uh, any crimes that I'm aware of. Obviously the Rhode Island video game venture was, looks really, really bad. And it looks like he was irresponsible with his goal there. At the same time, he put up a ton of his own money and, and, and lost a lot of his net worth, if not like 90% of his net worth over it. So he had some skin in that game, but the, the hall of fame is about your accolades playing baseball. And <laughs> it is the stuffiest, the BBWAA, the you know Baseball Writers Association, whatever the full thing is, is the stuffiest, most out of touch group of people on the face of North American sports. They don't get it, and they and they don't adapt to the to the modern game at all. Um, which really brings me to my next to the next person on the list, Barry Bonds. He's seventh on the ballot. Fifty-six point four percent is the greatest hitter of all time. Um, his stats are unbelievable. Um, truly, truly unbelievable. 2,200 runs. I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? 2,200 runs? That is just, I'm sorry. 3,000 hits, just shy of 3,006, 762 home runs. All, all you know, I mean, this, this stuff is well documented. 514 stolen bases. You know, almost 2,600 RBI, uh, walks. I'm sorry. He, he affected games like no one else in the history of baseball. And I understand that there are people that just can't get over the steroids. Steroids were a part of baseball, just like the dead ball era, just like the lowered mound era, just like the era where they had flat gloves and they weren't wearing helmets and they had overweight baseball bats. And, and like baseball is a game of errors and the red and, and, and the baseball was subject to the steroid era and he was the best. 
Uh, he had some really good non-steroid errors, um, uh, uh, steroid years with the Pirates. He he, I think he won an MVP. Like it's tight. He's punished. He everyone gets it. Everyone knows why he's not in. There's nothing more that needs to be said about it. He he he's got to get in. Um, and you know Terry, from someone who sits on the other side of the aisle on the steroid, I'm I'm interested to see what you you think about Perry Bonds. Uh, let me ask you one question before I do proceed, uh, just so I know the full scope of it. Uh, do you would you legalize steroids in Major League Baseball, or, or would you? Yes, you would. Okay, so you're yeah. you're at the all the way on the end of uh, your your side of the spectrum. Um, so here, here's my here's my point on that. Okay. Humankind, like I'm now, like someone just rolled their eyes like so hard they passed out because I'm about to throw humankind at you. Evolution, the you know the 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 desire to be better than you know on every topic, technology, um, evolving scientific uh, you know ideologies, medicine, which brings me to steroids. There's something out there that is legal that can be prescribed by a doctor that can protect and make an athlete better. And for whatever reason, they don't want steroids to be in baseball, which is absolutely crazy to me. They, they, you know, the geniuses of the world, past and present, have come up with this, this substance that protects an athlete, that can make them stronger, that can make them faster. Um, you know, in, in, in HGH, which is also you know, quote-unquote banned from Major League Baseball and doesn't have a place in the game. That helps you recover quicker. Um, all these things about keeping the athletes safer, healthier, on the field more, help them recover when they do get hurt. They've arbitrarily, in my mind, draw, drawn lines in the sand that, that uh, on certain substances that just don't make sense to me. And it's it's counterintuitive to the way that humankind has always had the desire to be better, to be faster, to be stronger, to be smarter to be more intuitive. Um, and then, you know, we have this one thing that for whatever reason they don't want in the game. It makes no sense to me. Um, and that's a, a whole different con- topic over, you know, there was a steroid era and there were a bunch of people doing steroids. The guys that were the best during that era should get in. I'm just, I, you know, but it's, it's, I think and it's two different arguments. Okay. Um, there is a difference between HGH, which, like you said, helps you recover. I don't have a huge problem with that. Uh, Andy Pettit is um, was you know failed a test, you know, for an HGH related uh, you know steroid, and he's one of the few who's been you know open about it, you know, and admitted. You know that he did it and whatnot, and I think I think I think baseball and you know public perception has been a lot kinder to him, you know, for that. And um, so that's one aspect of it. Then there's anabolic steroids, you know, the stuff that like you know a rod bonds and then we're taking. And as far as I know, for the most part, those are illegal. Like that's a drug. Basically, like it's it's handled the same way legally, if I'm not mistaken. My understanding is they're controlled substances. Okay. Right. Um, but that they can be, like a doctor can prescribe 
Well, I mean, I, <laughs> there are different types of steroids, and they all do different types of things. But my understanding is that they are manufactured legally and can be prescribed. Well, HGH is prescribed by doctors, you know, and, and that's, you know, pretty common. So I, I just wanted to illustrate the differences there. This is where this is where you and I are never going to agree, and it's a philosophical thing, and this will always divide us on issues like this. I'm a guy who takes character into a very high regard, and you, an example you've used multiple times on here is you don't give a shit how bad of a douchebag David Price is as long as he's performing. And and that's fair. I like I get where you're coming from, but I'm always going to fucking hate David Price and nobody wanted him to opt out more than me. Admittedly, it wouldn't have been the Red Sox didn't have an immediate solution in terms of replacing him, but I hate him that much and I I just rather him not wear my uniform. So there's there's a character thing here and there are rules, and when players cheat, they're breaking the rules. It's black and white, and it takes it a whole further step, you know, almost to a different stratosphere when they not only cheat, but they fucking lie about it. Like a little fucking bitch. Roger Clemens testified before fucking Congress when there there was shit mailed to his house, you know, addressed to his wife, he just there was no way Roger Clemens did not do steroids and he fucking lied about it so fuck him you know I'm not he doesn't he doesn't deserve to go to Cooperstown in my opinion Barry Bonds you know really shady stats from 2001 forward he was a Hall of Famer before that but I think I think he disgraced himself just as much I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna support these guys. These guys getting in, and one of my, you know, we can, you know, debate about it further. But my, one of my last things here to illustrate all my major points is Major League Baseball is winning the fight against steroids. Okay, less and less guys are testing positive for it. And I think that sends a healthier message. I mean, you're you're a parent, I'm not. If I was, I wouldn't want my kids messing with that stuff. I'd want them to play fairly. I'd want them to respect the rules and I just that that's how that's the direction I want to see baseball go. And 2018, you did have a few notable guys. My computer's freezing up on me. Uh, Robinson Cano failed. Who know He was probably doing it for the bulk of his career when he was on the Yankees. His two best friends, A-Rod, Melky Cabrera, both steroid guys. So I'm only speculating, but you know, no shock anyway that, that he failed. Um, Gregor Polanco also failed. Uh, with the twins, you know, one of the one of their better offensive players. Um, there was one other. Then, but then when you go back the last few years, I think the only notable one before this year was D. Gordon. And so they're winning the fight, and I wanna I wanna see that continue. And I'm just I have no problem wiping out 
a 15-year period of guys that most likely did it. I don't think Kurt Schilling did steroids. I don't think Pedro Martinez did steroids. The one name that conflicts me more than any other is David Ortiz. I'll say from 2006 forward, I feel like he was probably clean. 03-04, no, 04-05, I mean, you know, definitely shady. And you can say what you want about that list. He didn't, you know, he didn't fail a test, but neither did Alex Rodriguez. So, um it's tough, but I'm, if I were if I were a writer, I would not vote for any of these guys for those reasons. They cheated, and I just I I don't think they deserve it. Yeah, I mean, let's agree that you and I are going to just see this differently. Um, I I do have kids. I think that's a really important point um, because I have certain ideologies that I I teach my kids about right and wrong and karma and certain things just about how you generally treat people. Um, so I just like, to me, that's a really important distinction because the most important thing in my life is being a father. Uh, so the rest of this stuff is kind of ancillary. I played college baseball division three. Um, and I said that if I ever had a chance to be, to make the sort of money that changed my family, that I would have done steroids. And I would still say that today. Um, you know, I, in college, I became friends, um, with a guy who played in, uh, who was on the Cardinals 40 man roster for a number of years. Uh, and he taught me so much about what kind of goes on behind the scenes, both, you know, on the humor side of things, but then, you know, um, money side of things, the steroid side of things, cause this was 04, the steroid era was still very much happening. Um, so, you know, I just don't blame athletes that tr- that try to go, you know, what, what do they call nowadays, get the bag. Um, and because and, I would have done it. Zero question, I can say with 100% probability that I would do it if I could have made $100 million. There's just zero question. And anyone who's sitting there going, I would have taken the high road over $100 million earned legally in the United States. I'm sorry, get out of here. I don't believe you. I do not believe that you would you would take the high road over the money. Now, here's the thing. You said that Major League Baseball is winning the, f- the fight against steroids. I, I would caution you to read the testing requirements for steroids because I believe the trigger point is like something like 100 times the normal limit of, of a normally functioning male testosterone. So this isn't like some, you know, if you're taking steroids and you're doing it reasonably under like, let's say a physician's care, my understanding is you won't test positive. It's the guys that get out of control. It's like Barry Bonds, you know, um, injecting it, like just, you know, like taking Advil before a game where your head size grows. Like that's not the only way to take steroids. If you take it under a physician's care, you take it on a schedule, you take it appropriate doses based on your height and weight. And it can have a positive effect without triggering the, the point where you will, you will violate or breach a Major League Baseball testing protocol. So I do not think that, you know, Major League Baseball is quote unquote winning. In fact, I would say that there's still probably a very high percentage of Major League Baseball and just athletes in all North American sports that are, that are taking some sort of performance enhancing drug that's quote unquote, um, 
you know, not, not legal. One thing that I was, I gasped, um, but you didn't hear me because I had my, my microphone on mute is you said that the rules are black and white. Um, Terry, you and I are unapologetic when it comes time to disagree. And it's one of the things that I think this podcast becomes very, it can be at, at times very, very good content. The rules in major league baseball are not black and white. It's a sport known for the quote unquote unwritten rules. The right way to play, the wrong way to play, the the beating the guy for sliding in high, or whatever you know, whatever the unwritten rule is, is I don't think it's something we need to touch on. Again, um, the, there was no testing in Major League Baseball until was it the '04 Mitchell report, which wound up was supposed to be confidential, which wound up not being confidential. Um, they didn't test, I think, fully until like what was it '06 '07. So testing in Major League Baseball has only happened for the last 11 years. So I, I just, you know, and then sign stealing, the Houston Astros trying to put a basically a mole in the in the camera pit next to the Red Sox dugout in the ALCS. Like cheating happens in every single game. Quote, unquote, black and white cheating happens in every single game in Major League Baseball. Um, you know, and then as a Red Sox fan, here's the people. I just drew a, a short list. Five, I picked five names that to me um, are immediate steroid users. I'm sorry, not immediate. Uh, almost certain immediate steroid users that have played on the Boston Red Sox in the last 15 years. David Ortiz, Manny Ramirez, Pedro Martinez, uh, Nomar, and yeah, I just because he's a lightning rod, but to me he was the, the prototypical guy who took something. Uh, although it may not have helped him as much as it maybe should have, as Trot Nixon. Um, I think you could put, you know, Veritech on that list and any number of other people. But these are people that, you know, like, especially in the case of like Nomar and Ortiz, Pedro, these were revered athletes, guys that were on championship teams. These guys took steroids. Like, and if you're listening to this and you're surprised by that, like, I'm, that's shocking to me because these guys all clearly took steroids. And you the Red Sox were better, at, better as a result. You think Pedro did? 100% without question hmm. took steroids. Remember that year he came back and I remember listening to back then when I listened to WEI there was like <laughs> there was like this report and I, one of these times I'm going to find the article you know but back then there was no internet so um, he put on 15 or 25 pounds of muscle and they asked him what he did and he just said um, he ate more or something like that but he was cut out of stone he was like too big and and in fact, I think by the all-star break of that year, he had realized that it wasn't helping him. And so he either keeled back or stopped using it because then he like dropped that weight immediately and he came out of the all-star break like back to his regular playing weight. There's zero question that Pedro Martinez took, took steroids in my mind. Zero. Hmm. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely think Ortiz did, but... <laughs> You All those guys on the list did. Nomar, Nomar, who, for whatever reason, people don't talk about it, the famous Sports Illustrated cover. Um, and Nomar wound up flaking out and having the hamstring and the ligament issues that are associated with steroid issues. So he never came into that Hall of Fame level um, discussion. Uh, also, he was unceremoniously traded uh, right before they broke the curse because he was being a, a problem in the clubhouse. So, like, but for like eight years, he was revered. I mean, he he was he was everything to a Boston Red Sox fan. That guy was so juiced out of his mind, he it ended his career. 
Yeah, and I mean, he was real injury prone at the end, and yeah, and just so we're clear, the timeline is a little off. the The anonymous list that Ortiz was on was in two thousand three, where I guess they they took steroids. The the everything was supposed to be confidential, and then it got leaked. The Mitchell report, which um, Clemens and Bonds were on, that was actually released in two thousand seven. Um. So I don't I know. Knew you're, I, I knew I, I knew I wasn't dead on there, and I was waiting for you to call me on it, Terry. <laughs> oh, sorry. Well, no, I just, just bad, for the I should have said I should have said those were guesses, but it, yeah, I got gotcha. you. It's an easy one to confuse, though. Um, but yeah, so I I don't know if '07 was the first year or '008 was the first year of testing, but you know I. Yeah, and we've already agreed to disagree, so I guess we'll leave it at that. Well, let me let me ask you one question, then, Terry. All right, Barry Bonds produced the far, 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 far majority, or mostly these guys we're talking about. Their stats were had when steroids were maybe not legal, but certainly were not illegal or against Major League Baseball rules. Yet it's still being held against them. It makes no sense to me that they were doing something that qualified under the rules that existed at that time, and that's having an effect on their candidacy. It just doesn't make sense to me. It just really doesn't make sense to me. Now, Cano would be an interesting... Uh, now, he's, you know, the Seattle's basically distancing themselves from him and, you know, whatever. But Cano would be interesting because Cano is in the steroid testing era, Um he had a major, major, major suspension as a result. So now here we go where that would be a different situation. But all these other guys were talking about maybe Manny at the end of his career with the Dodgers when he tested positive. But, I mean, he was, again, he, he the far majority of what he accomplished was before it was illegal or against rules. So it's just, to me, these guys were in this era where everyone was doing it. Um and they should be judged based on their era. And these guys are the best of that era they should be in. You know, because, again, above Barry Bonds, we've already talked about Messina. Uh, above Barry Bonds is Roger Clemens, who is probably a top five right-handed pitcher of all time. He's got to be in the world. He's got to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, and then above him is Mike Messina and Edgar Martinez. Um, Ed, Edgar Martinez, by the way, almost got 71% last year, so he's going to get in this year. Um, but... Um, Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, one's a pitcher, one's a one's a hitter. Both elite guys in that era. They both, in my mind, should be in. So, again, I agree to disagree. I, I don't know if they will, though. I mean, they're pretty far back for only having three years left. You know, 57% for Bonds, 56 for uh, – no, I had it backwards. 57 for Clemens, 56% uh, for Bonds. They need to be at 75% for those in the audience who are unfamiliar with how it works. And they have to reach 75% of the ballot by the end of their 10th year. So, I mean, maybe maybe they get a spike, but I don't know. I, I, don't, I can't remember how many, how many players get to be voted for on each writer's ballot. But you know Mar- Rivera is going to you know, take some of it, and um, Halliday as well. I I mean, Pettit might get 10 or 15% on his first year. I think 
I think Helton is going to go, he's going to stick around in this process for a while. He might not, he might not ultimately get in. One of the more eye-popping things with him, and it, it doesn't have as much to do with Colorado as anything, he's got a 414 on base percentage. And just to compare him to some of the guys above him, there's only two others above him that are currently on the ballot, and that's Bonds at, uh, at 4.44 and Edgar Martinez at 4.18, so that's kind of a an interesting stat for Helton. And I've heard writers say in the past that he's one of those guys that always flies under the radar and, and doesn't get a ton of credit. So um, I do expect him to get a healthy number of votes out of the gates, but uh, you know whether he reaches 75. So getting back to Bonds and Clemens, I just don't know. I just don't know if the time is on their side, and I just think there's a faction of writers that are just never going to come off of it, you know, for the, you know, for putting people like them in. So you may be right. Yeah, um, you may be right. One other thing too. The the other thing that makes me uncomfortable, you know, with if steroids were ever potentially going to be legalized, is where do you where do you draw the line now? Is is corked bats okay? Is pine tar okay? You know, I just I feel like we're we're selling our souls if we, you know, if we give in on that in the future. Yeah, I mean that. You know, respectfully, you've characterized that very broadly. Um, anytime you're talking about medicine, there's, I mean, like a DUI test. If you, in Florida, if you have a 8% blood alcohol level, um, you're okay, but at 9%, you're not. So, I mean, you know, these te- and by the way, the test already allows for a great, and I can't remember the exact percentage above the average American male's testosterone levels, but it's ridiculous. So just turn that test into everything below it's permissible, everything above it's not, and have it make have it administered by by guys that want to do it, have it administered by a professional. I, it just seems to me to be crazy. Now when you're talking about cork bats, like that's a different thing. Like that's a piece of equipment where you have to have certain length and height requirements width of the barrel, etc. Um, so now, are there always going to be guys that, you know, tempt that and, you know, try to break the rule? And, and at least in the cork bat setting, most people have traditionally gotten away with it. Um, I know um, that there are guys that use cork bats in, like, um, batting practice to kind of put on a show something that certainly happened back in the day. Um, and I've also heard stories of guys forgetting and for one at bat using their, their, their BP bat. Um, and then realizing that they made a mistake and then, you know, putting that bat away and going back to their game bats. Um, so like that stuff has happened and it's not, you know, Sammy Sosa famously got caught, like you mentioned earlier, but equipment's a, a total, you know, there's there's very very if you read the major league baseball rule book it's it's crazy specific and like if you you can't go out and play the outfield with like a two foot glove you can't because the specifics are that like to the 18th of an inch like this is the size glove you can use for whatever position you play so with equipment i'm just not worried about it um 
with the science stuff, you can always put really specific parameters in place that, you know, like, yeah, I mean, it's maybe, maybe some people would say it's a bad example, but like a DUI test, um, you know, universally across this country, people are able to, the, the scientists, the smart guys and girls out there are able to put really, really specific numbers in place that say, this is how, you know, this is okay, this isn't. And there's a line. There's a, there's a line of demarcation, and I would think that Major League Baseball would be able to do that. But wouldn't there always be still a faction of players that go beyond whatever the allotment would be if it ever were legalized? You know, they would yeah. take more. I just feel like it, it has to stay out of the sport. Well, that already happens. That already happens, Cano, for example. Again, the testing is really allows for a pretty broad range. Like, you can take steroids. Uh, my understanding of the, 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 the level with which you technically um, would fail the test, you can take steroids under a physician's care and not get caught. Um, so it happens. There's no question. Um, I don't think testing lines up with use. Um, you know, the te- you know, you're saying, like, more and more people are getting caught and all that stuff, but there's still a large amount of guys that are using that are using it appropriately, safely, and probably within a physician's care, um, so that they don't get caught. Um, well, you know, and like I said, and, and if, if that's the case, then that would start the the barometer for what would be you know potentially within the rules. There's a, you know, it's different though. Like, it's not always the the faces of the sport that that are necessarily doing it like I fewer and fewer people are getting caught is what I'm saying so I, I think they're winning the fight in that regard uh Cano was all uh, you know obviously a big fish and he went down in this and there were a couple others last year but for the most part the guys that are failing are the guys that are in the minors and they're just trying to take something to get them over the hump to finally get into the big leagues you know and and maybe they'll only ever be average major league players but to them it's worth it so you see a lot of it a lot of the failed tests going on down in the minors and then you have like Manny Ramirez I can't remember if he failed once or twice I want to say it was twice but the last time he failed he was a Tampa Bay Ray just trying to stay in the game and you know so he failed Marlon Bird failed you know same thing just trying to trying to stay in the game and you know he was never going to be a hall of famer anyway so a lot of these i don't i would be shocked if aaron judge ever failed for steroids or, or Giancarlo stanton or mookie betts <laughs> there is i'm not going to name this person but there is one player on the red Sox that would not shock me in the least if he failed and uh, enough people listen to this that I'm just not comfortable saying it on the air. I'll tell you off the air if you want, but um, but for the most part, I just I think we're winning. I like the direction we're going, and you know if uh, you know if people are taking it under their doctor's care, hopefully MLB you know catches up to that at some point. But they they say the chemist is always going to be one step ahead, you know, of the testing. So it, it, here's my question to you, Terry. Why? Why? And I'm going to characterize it in a way that's almost like accusatory, so I get what I'm doing here. Just so you know. Okay. Why are you opposed to the game being better? Why are you opposed to the athlete being better? I just have. 
it's an integrity thing, you know. There's a, I could go a bunch of different ways well, with this. There's, well, there's me, a difference between yeah. HGH and and anabolic steroids. I'm, I'm gonna be more sympathetic with the HGH guys, you know, the Pettits of the world. The anabolic, the anabolic steroid aspect of it, I'm not. I'm just never gonna be, and you know, it, it's not healthy. I'm just, I'm just never gonna go there. I, I respect. The natural elements of the game, so I don't want to fuck with that. It's a great game. I love this game the way that it is, and I don't want guys, you know, taking steroids. I don't want, I don't want the natural. I don't want a pitch clock for crying out loud. You know, I just I like the game the way it is, and I don't want to mess with that. All right, so I have some things to say, but I want to ask you one more question. Okay. You're in AAA. You have the two major league guys. You're a catcher. There are two major league guys on the 40-man, and you're on the 40-man with another guy on, on AAA, right? You're, you're, you're playing for the Paw Sox. And you room with the other catcher on the road, and you find out he's doing steroids. And coming out of the All-Star break, he hits 10 home runs in the, ne- in the next 60 games, and you've hit two. And you're going into the next season competing with that guy for the backup job behind Jason Veritek. And you have a choice to make. Do you take that step and potentially make the sort of money that alters your life and the generation that comes behind you? Or do you, you know, stay within the bounds of quote unquote integrity and, and do, and try to beat him doing it, you know, naturally? Well, you know. What, what what would you do, or what would you have done at twenty three years old? I get where you're coming from, and it's it's a tough question, but <laughs> it's I, not a tough question. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sorry, it's not a tough question. Everyone would do it, right? I would. You're putting me you're putting me in the position of the athlete, though, and well, of course, that's the that's who we're talking about. That's those are the guys that have taken stories like you just admitted. Manny took him to stay in the game. Marlon Bird took him to stay in the game to get one more contract to get you know. And I and I'm you, the hypothetical I just gave you is actually a hypothetical that I know from a friend um, where that actually happened. And this particular individual who will remain nameless, and I will not even say the organization which, with which he played, but he chose the high road. Um, and he was out of baseball in two years, and that other guy played and did, made money. Did the other guy get and, caught by any chance? No. Okay, because nope. it's just kind of surprising to me that he would confess that to his roommate, especially if he's competing against him. Well, I, I dressed it up a little bit. Oh, all right. And I and it wasn't. It's not my story to tell. Okay. Right. So I'm I'm telephone game. You know, is playing a factor here. But right. I'm trying to highlight my point, like. Like, I knew I wasn't good enough. You know, like I said, I played college three baseball. There are guys that are that have been drafted out of my college and in the Little East Conference, the conference I played in. And there are guys that have made it really, really high up. Um, I played against a guy in Division three baseball that played for 15 years. So it, it's not, like, completely out of the question. But for me, it was. I never had a chance to be that at that level. So I never had to be put in that spot. But I'll tell you right now, if I was close and that would have put me over the top, I would have done it. No questions asked. I get, you know. I I get the temptation. I do understand it, but I'm just too much of a purist, you know. And if I was in that position, 
and I I had the same values that I have right now. Uh, and I just I don't know. I would just try to I, beat I, them out, you know. And that's, I have I have the same values, Terry. Um, I, I find myself to be ethical, um, especially in a profession that that struggles with that. Um, and some people may be listening to this and going, "Well, geez, Jeremy, you know." You don't sound so ethical. <laughs> I'm not advocating. I'm not advocating for a violation of of now or then existing laws. I'm not advocating for a violation of every any professional code of conduct. Um, I'm not. I mean, you know, there's still a large portion of this country that smokes marijuana, uh, which is quote unquote illegal within the state that they live in. But it's in the other half of the country, it's legal. So not everything's black and white. Not everything's like you're on one side or you're not. Like there's significant gray area in real life. This is one of those situations. And what bothers me about this is like for example, I've I've his I've I've come out pretty strong against the BBWAA and how old school and sniffly they can be about voting for the Hall of Fame. And how they want the game to be the game it was in 1965 when they were watching it on mom and dad's black and white TV with eight channels and no remote. That's not what this is anymore. This is a game that has to be packaged and and produced to mass media, including social media, in a form that, that can create revenue. And I understand there's going to be purists in the game. I actually consider myself a purist, you know, subject to what I'm saying today. But you have to understand that the game has to evolve to the consumer. And like a pitch clock evolves to the consumer. Like most people don't want to watch four-hour baseball games. I love four-hour baseball games, okay? I absolutely love them. And I'm, I'm weird like that. I also love working, and most people in this generation don't love working. So I'm a weird dude. I get it. I'm a geek. I'm a nerd, all those things, right? But I'm also not so short-sighted as to say, you, you ha- look, you have to you – don't, don't market to me. I'll be there no matter what. Market – you know, you got to market the game to the people that are undecided, that are saying, I like baseball, but the games are too long. The pitch clock keeps those guys and girls around. And steroids, HGH, make the athletes better, make the product better. It's packaged better. It's delivered better. It's more explosive. It's more dynamic. And those are the, those are what ha- that, that's what gets the consumer to the table and gets the consumer to spend the dollar bills on the product which makes the sport more uh, popular and which make more people listen to this podcast and generally enjoy the game more across the board. So to me, based on that sort of dynamic, it just, and every athlete is going to be faced with the choice with whether they want to do it or not. Right? Like in today's day and age in football, like I won't let my kids play, but if he goes to college and says, well, dad, screw you. I'm 18 years old. I'm going to play college football. There's nothing I can do to stop him at that point. So all the athletes are going to have their own choices to make. But to me, um, if, if it makes the game better, more packageable to the – that might not be a word, but I'm going to use it anyways – to the consumer, especially the consumer that's on the fence about whether they want to consume this product or not, I'm all in. Do what you got to do to get everyone involved in this game because it's a great game. And it can be a great game with steroids and quote-unquote performance-enhancing drugs within it. Yeah, well, we're we're far apart. Yeah, I like the uh, the natural uh, element of it, and I, I just I can't I can't get away from that. But but you know, we, we, you know we stand where we stand, and and that's fine. 
Uh, all right. Uh, I think we can. I think we shot for an hour and uh, <laughs> didn't didn't make that. So uh, I guess we can uh, get ready to wrap it up. We'll probably do another show uh, midweek and um, come up with a list of uh, free agents to go over. Yep. Again, anybody out there that's listening, um, please tweet at. Uh,